0: A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Welcome back to Live Wild Podcast, everyone. We're in the middle of September. Elk seasons are kicking off. This is an awesome time to be in the woods. It's also a great time to brush up on a lot of tips and tactics for the upcoming season. And there's so many hunts where a spotting scope can definitely make or break the hunt. In my opinion, the big glass is needed for any hunt where it's a glassing-intensive defined game, a hunt where you're in an area that's really vast, a hunt where maybe you're looking for a certain size animal, or any hunt where there's strict legal requirements on the age or size of game, like, say, a sheep hunt where it has to be full curl. When it comes to glassing with a spotting scope, there's a few tricks of the trade to use it effectively. So this week, I'm covering nearly everything you need to know when glassing with a spotting scope. But before we do that, I want to break down the types of hunts and scenarios where spotting scopes are imperative. (laughs) In my opinion, and I've said this many, many times, glassing has to be one of the most effective tools for hunting. It's just there are zero hunts that I would go on without my binoculars and very, very few that I would not take a spotting scope. But there's certain kinds of hunts where it requires a lot more scope work than others. And in order to effectively utilize a scope, you're going to think about the types of hunts that you might be going on and ones that would be, I would say, like spotting scope intensive. So the first is just those hunts where it's extremely difficult to pick out animals. It's a very spot and stock game. It's all about spotting. You know, the, the type of hunts where I would maybe not necessarily need the spotting scope would be an archery elk hunt where... I'm kind of just looking for any particular bull and I'm bugling, I'm in the thicker timber. I don't really need to verify. It's like, okay, I'm just chasing bugles and and moving fast. Okay, on that kind of hunt, maybe I don't necessarily need a spotting scope or I might take a lighter spotting scope. But there are certain hunts where I'm gonna be spending a lot of time looking through a spotting scope. And then mule deer happen, you know, mule deer, coos deer, that happens to be one of those hunts. They're very just glassing intensive in the nature of it. The more you can glass, the more you can pick out things in that big country, the more effective you're going to be, you know, and and sometimes that country's fairly open, but also those animals can be hard to find. I think most hunts for these animals, a big spotter is definitely a no brainer. I was kind of just thinking about some of those times where spotting scope was just an absolute necessity. And uh, me and some friends were hunting down south for coos deer uh, quite a few years back. And, on that hunt, the kind of strategy was getting set up. It was a glassing-intensive hunt, so it was like chest minos, big binoculars, and then the spotting scale. And this one particular mountain I was glassing from far away, but the sun was rising behind me, hitting this hill, and was just, you know, picking it apart, picking it apart, catching animals moving, and then I realized, okay, wow, like I can I finally picked out a deer that was moving across the hill with my binos and was like, oh, okay, I'm a little undergunned for where I'm sitting here. And so I started just essentially glassing that the rest of that hunt with my spotter, even in the little bit closer range stuff. So one of the evenings there, I was, I was set up on this glassing knob and the deer, it was like during the rut, but they tended to just be bedded. It was It was kind of wild. Like I felt like they should have been moving more and there was no moon, like everything seemed right, but it was that phase of the rut where the, bucks kind of had singled out does and they were just tending does. So they would just sit there with the doe. And then if that doe got up and ran or whatever, they would go, but they were just almost like, I call it like a lockdown phase. And so I was glassing this one hit mountain and it's like, we knew that there were deer there when we'd seen them moving around and we got closer and it's like a thousand yards away. And I'm just picking it apart with my spotter and just zoomed in Pretty good. The grass was fairly tall, like definitely tall enough to conceal a buck. If it was standing, you'd see it, but pretty tall. And then just more of like mesquite country. So I was just glassing into these little bedding pockets and going slow, I'd seen a, I thought I saw some movement and I looked and it was a magpie up on one of the trees up higher. So I focused down a little lower thinking, man, maybe that's a good sign. And just saw this ear twitch. Ooh, okay. And like focused on that ear and then made out a rack of a, a really nice coos deer buck which i ended up shooting later on so you know just being able to pick apart the mountain and use that spotting scope is super effective I like, countless mule deer hunts where you know i do a lot of my successful mule deer hunting midday i am glassing into shade i'm looking in those bedding areas because you know i'm trying to narrow down where these deer might be and in the middle of the day, there are you know, there's certain places where they're more likely to be. Now I've seen them just bed down and all they need is just a little bit of shade to stay out of the sun. Uh, But if you've got a hillside, that's like, oh, there's some shade pockets here. There's some mahogany patch here. And I can start glassing into that middle of the day. You start to get the heat waves and other things, but you really are undergunned with just binoculars. So I generally have a high magnification spotting scope, and I'm just locked off on the tripod, picking that apart, looking for a foot, a leg, uh, just sometimes staring in the shadows. And I'll pick a spot that looks good, like looks like a good bedding area. And I'll just stare in there, stare in there, stare in there. And all of a sudden, something will materialize. I mean, that's happened to me more times than I can count. And there's so many hunts where, you know, the success of the hunt or finding something on that hunt led from having that increased magnification of that spotting scope, where I don't, th- I think I would have just been undergunned with binoculars. Now, of course, there's a few drawbacks to glassing with a spotting scope, and that's why we're going to talk about how to effectively glass with a spotting scope. Because when you're looking through one eye, there's a lot of eye strain. There's a lot of things that make it difficult and make it difficult to do for long periods of time. So those are some of the things that we're going to cover. But I figured I'd kind of talk about some of the use cases where spotting scopes are extremely useful. You know, any hunt where you've got a vast wide open space, any additional magnification is nice because you're looking over a lot of big country and you can look it over from further away. It doesn't matter whether you're hunting pronghorn, elk, mule deer, in those more open, maybe more arid type country where you can step back and you can start looking at a lot of open country, a lot of good potential habitat, you know, by... Scooting back, sometimes you have more view of certain things. And then when you do that scoot back, you also need to zoom in a little bit because you're going to you're gonna start to miss things. You don't want to, gla- like, one of the things that I hate to do is to glass something and think that I've covered it when, in fact, if there were something there, I could not have seen it. I like to look at something and know, okay, with where I'm at and what I'm looking at with the magnification that I'm using, I have a reasonable chance of spotting whatever I'm looking for. In that wide open country, using a spotting scope allows you to do that. Now on hunts where maybe you got a limited entry tag, maybe it's a, I don't know, you've taken a few mule deer bucks and you're just looking for a certain kind of buck this year, a certain kind of bull or a certain kind of pronghorn. The spotting scope is super handy for that, for verifying exactly what you're looking for. I've guided a lot of limited entry deer tags. I've had quite a few limited entry tags over the years myself. And when I finally have one of those tags, I'm looking for something special most of the time. And that might mean I'll be nitpicky on like a mule deer. Elk, I'm not so picky about, but mule deer, I'm like, okay, he's got a smaller fork on this side, that side, whatever. But I don't have to go over there. I don't have to invest a lot of time in a deer that I'm not going to end up taking because I know what I'm looking for and that deer ends up not being it. But he's got a good frame and from distance, I don't know, is it? I don't know. But using that spotting scope, Allows me to kind of verify what I'm looking at at a further distance from one vantage point. So it allows me more effective time hunting because I'm like, hey, I've only got X amount of time to find what I'm looking for. I don't want to be chasing after every close buck that isn't exactly what I would go after if I can tell from a distance, just increasing that magnification through the spotting scope. Now that's not exactly what I want. Let's keep looking. Let's keep looking from this vantage. Let's not break up our hunt and invest half a day into getting closer and hoping that that deer pops out to just see what it is when we can do that from a distance with our spotting scope. And that's probably one of the best use cases for a spotting scope. If you're the type of hunter that's got that kind of tag or you're you're really looking for something specific, that's where that comes into play. And then any hunt where, you know, there's certain requirements, legal requirements. I was recently on a 10-day sheep hunt. And as for doll sheep, they have to be full curl or eight years old. We looked over a lot of sheep and we were picking them apart, trying to find a legal ram. And that means counting rings and, you know, bad weather, wind, all this other stuff. But there's some things that you need to be able to tell whether it's legal or not. And the only way to do that is to have a good magnification, clear spotting scope where you can sit back a distance and and really analyze what you're hunting, and there's other hunts like that where you go, hey, it's gotta be this wide, it's gotta have this many brow tines, it's gotta be, you know, this many points. Um, So there there are a lot of uses for a spotting scope. I know a lot of people ask like, hey, uh, should I invest in a spotting scope? Should I invest in binoculars? I'll say binoculars first. It's It's the first thing everybody needs, but definitely adding a spotting scope to your arsenal is super handy and super beneficial. So what we're going to do now is we're going to dive into breaking down tips and tactics for using a spotting scope for glassing. And to first kick that off, what I want to do is talk about the differences in different types of spotting scopes between straight and angled because this is a question that I get asked a lot. So when it comes to a straight versus angled spotting scope, I think that you first kind of have to understand where each one excels and the weakness of each one before you make your decision. You know, I've gone back and forth over the years of which kind I prefer. I used a straight spawning scope for a very long time and I was a lot younger (laughs) in the past and I could just like contort my body to get comfortable and glass really low laying down and my neck never got tired. I never like, it didn't bother me. And even then back then, not a lot of packs were built for angled spotting scope. So it's more just a thing of convenience of like, all right, it fits in my pack, nice. It's easy to acquire a target. I went with the straight one. Over the years, I've kind of adapted to really enjoying the angled spotting scope for its benefits. So we're just going to break down each spotting scope right now. Here's some of the advantages of the angled. So an angled spotting scope... No, advantages and disadvantages. The first major disadvantage of an angled spotting scope, it's a lot more difficult to acquire the target because your natural line of sight is changed. You're looking down into the spotting scope for the most part, and it's refracting your view, and you're looking through the scope itself. So you're looking at a different angle than your eye would be looking. And for some people, it's hard to figure out where you're looking. If you need to throw it up real quick and and find the target, it's a lot faster to acquire the target in a straight spotting scope because it's just natural. It's something you've done your entire life. You just, oh, there it is. You're looking with your eye in that direction and then you can pick it out. Uh, With the angle that's a little bit more difficult and as you're closer, it's a lot more difficult to find things that are close with that angled spotting scope. Now, the nice thing about an angled spotting scope is when you're on the mountain looking uphill, it's a lot easier, it's a more natural position to have your head looking down. Another really good feature about the angled spotting scope is you can have this tripod set a lot lower and still view everything that you need in a comfortable position. Now, the way that that benefits you is less wind shake with that lower tripod. You can often use a smaller, lighter tripod and still be very steady. And then another good benefit of it is when you're comfortable glassing, You can glass longer. So your head's in a good position. You don't get as tense and tight in the neck. It causes less headaches over the course of a hunt. It allows you to glass longer, it allows you to be more comfortable. There's a lot of good advantages to the angled spotting scope. And I would say if you're on a tripod, if you're in the mountains uh, looking at angles, that's really good. Another nice feature of an angled spotting scope is you don't have to look at it up and down. You can actually, like, there's a knob on most of them where you can adjust the body of the spotting scope. So you can turn it. A lot of times I'll be sitting on a steep hill. I've got the tripod set up and I'll just adjust the angled spotting scope where it's like I roll the eye down to kind of meet me. So I might be looking not even toward the mountain, but I'm looking in the spotting scope, kind of a different direction than the spotters pointed. But what that allows me to do is just be able to look at it comfortably, maybe even block the wind with my body from the tripod and look through the spotting scope that way. Now, a straight spotting scope, some of the benefits are it's a lot easier to use, say, from a vehicle, if you're window mounting a tripod. There's a lot of hunting and scouting, especially when it comes to scouting. I would say, I didn't mention this in the use cases for spotting scopes, but scouting is probably the best use case for a spotting scope because you're trying to see what's in the area, really analyze animals. I mean, I use a spotting scope for scouting more than anything, And a lot of times you're scouting an area and you might be vehicle-based where you've got, you know, depends on what you're hunting. Maybe you're in an area where you're you're checking fields, you're a whitetail hunter, you're looking at different bucks, you're looking over a lot of different deer. It's honestly a really effective way to cover a lot of country. Be in a vehicle, find vantage points, glass, go on. When you're scouting, that's a great way to cover ground. And a lot of country is maybe you hunt more flat type country, you might not have to worry so much about the angle that you're looking through the spotting scope. So the straight's nice because you can easily acquire a target fast. Uh, It's really good for something like if you're glassing from a window mount, the angled spotters definitely, you can adjust it, but it's definitely a lot more difficult to use from a window mount. So that's definitely another bonus In the past, straight spotting scopes fit in packs a lot better. Now, a lot of the spotting scope pockets actually fit those large angled spotters. I know Stone Glacier's pocket for their spotters fit those large angled spotters now. But in the past, it was like really hard to get an angled spotter to fit in your pack. So it always was an awkward carry for sure. Um, Now that's not even an issue because I think that more companies have come out with angled spotting scopes and it's just now part of the hunting culture and packs have adjusted to kind of the spotting scope pockets are a lot bigger than they used to be and they fit and it works and it and so that's not really an issue anymore another really nice thing about the straight spotting scope or a a plus and a minus right so in order to to sit down and get comfortable you have to have the tripod legs extended more sometimes actually having those legs extended more is a benefit because it can go over your body as opposed to needing to kind of straddle the entire tripod itself. Sometimes that's a benefit. Uh, Sometimes it's not. So it just depends on your tripod and your setup and the type of terrain that you're in. Now, a straight spotting scope is also really good, aside from acquiring a target faster, which I think is very beneficial if you're in that type of country where, hey, I got to look at this, that, or the other thing. In closer range, it's a lot easier to just kind of understand where you're at. And in those cases where you might need to glass quicker or whatever, that's nice. Another benefit of a straight spotting scope is you can often set your binoculars on it in a way that you can glass with your binoculars on top of your spotting scope. I do this all the time. And then have your spotting scope ready to drop in and and look in there. I'll do that a lot where I set my binos on my spotter. I'll glass with my binos. Oh, I need to verify that. And then just drop into the spotting scope. Take a look, make a few little adjustments, and, and you're ready to go. So that's kind of the difference between the angled and the straight. There's definitely pluses and minuses to both. If you're like, hey, I'm doing a lot of mountain hunting, I'm going to be using a tripod, looking up and down mountains, hiking around, I think I'd probably go at the angled. If you're like, hey, I do a lot of scouting, I do a lot of summer scouting, I scout for my vehicle a lot. I don't really like the, you know, maybe like you're in an area where when you see something, you kind of got to get on it quick. Straight spotting scope would definitely be for you because you can acquire that target faster and, you know, you have a lot of options. Or maybe you're in more flat country where, you know, you don't necessarily need that angle. It's just better to figure out where you are in this big, vast open plain by looking straight toward it. And so I think that you can't go wrong with either. I've used both for a very long time and I don't really have any qualms against one or the other on certain hunts I prefer the angled spotting scope. On certain hunts, I prefer the straight spotting scope. And sometimes even just packing in, sometimes straight spotting scope, just it fits with my gear better, honestly, you know, because it just slides into things. It's, there's less angles on it, right? It just kind of fits in there a little bit better. And sometimes that's nice. So I've gone both ways. I think that you can't really go wrong with either. It's just more of personal preference. And sometimes the type of hunt that you're doing might dictate which one you, you kind of invest in. So now let's dive into the way that we're going to glass when we're glassing with a spotting scope. So what I'm talking about glassing with a spotting scope, I'm not just talking about verifying an animal. Let's say you've spotted someone with your body. and like, ooh, there's a, a deer over there. Let's see what it is. You get out your spotter, you zoom in. Okay, it's a buck. Now let's analyze it. You aren't really looking that long through the spotter. What I mean by glassing through your spotter is where you've got a big mountain. Let's say you're mule deer hunting, Middle of the day, and you're like, I'm going to pick out apart this bedding area. I'm going to look into all this shade. I'm going to try to find a bug. And you might be doing that for hours. And so, what happens is one of the drawbacks to a spotting scope is when you're looking through one eye, it can cause that eye strain or fatigue. And it's a real thing. I mean, when you start to get like, if you're glass, if anybody that's glassed through a spotting scope for a long period of time, you've been like squinting one eye, looking through the spotter staring, 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 picking it apart. You pull your eyes off and you almost get dizzy. It's like a rush to your head. Like, all right, your vision's blurry. Everything looks weird. Your one eye's hurting. And it's like, you know, it makes it hard to do for a long time. So I think the first step, and this should be kind of apparent or common sense, but I've seen people like get confused about it. You want to look through a spawning scope with your dominant eye. And if you can glass with both eyes open, that is absolutely key because you're going to be able to have a little less eye strain, that fatigue of closing and squinting all the time. When I was growing up, we actually used, we would go to like Rite Aid. Is Rite Aid even around anymore? I think it's CVS now. We'd go to Rite Aid and we just buy eye patches. It's like a bunch of glass and pirates out there. It was just like, I I wore an eye patch for a very large portion of my life, just glassing with the eye patch on. I don't do that anymore because I've kind of trained myself to be able to look with both eyes open. And also, I'll use something to block my eye. It could be my hand. It could be something else. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. I have a few little strategies and tips that help with this. But if you're going to be glassing for a long period of time, and then sometimes, you know, if I need like a better view, I'll squint a little bit or close the eye and go back and forth. But for the primary glassing, like just covering ground, if I can have both eyes open, I will. And then I'll do something to kind of block that eye. So I'll be looking through my dominant eye because that's the eye that is picking up that image, and then that allows me to have my non-dominant eye open, even like maybe looking or having it blocked in some way. The next step is when it comes to glassing with a spotting scope, you have to be comfortable. And that might mean moving your body if necessary. If you're looking at one portion of the mountain, so many people will like look at the portion and they're looking over here and it's like you're, you're craning your neck, you're, you're tweaking your body, you're getting all out of sorts. And what that does is just causes undue strain. I don't know how many times I've glassed so hard that just like your neck hurts, your eyes hurt, your head hurts, and you just get these wicked headaches. It's like the curse of glassing hard, right? Like you can get fatigued hiking, you can get fatigued glassing. And it's absolutely true. And people get burnout pretty quick glassing that haven't been doing it a lot. And they'll look and they'll look and they'll look the first day. And then it's like, they kind of stop looking so hard because it actually is can be physically painful or just very uncomfortable. And it's because they almost burnt themselves out in the beginning. So I always say like, just get comfortable where your body's like naturally, whatever, set the tripod up, look at that section. And if you need to look at another section, readjust. Don't, it's not worth like straining and craning and and getting all uncomfortable all day. So I'll look at the portion that I can look at in this way and then I'll move, I'll get repositioned and, and look at that other stuff because I found that the it's like in many ways, it's an endurance game, right? You're like, you gotta do this all week, every day. So you don't want to burn yourself out by just kind of having improper form and, and getting tired. And that's just something to think about, like get comfortable. And if there's something you wanna look at and it's not comfortable to look at, readjust. It's, it's, it's super easy to do. It takes a little bit of time sometimes, but readjust the tripod, reposition your body, look at that comfortably and then move on to the next piece of country that you want to look at. The next thing that's very important is I say get shaded. So there's two eyes that you want to protect, your on-scope eye and your off-scope eye. So your on-scope eye, what happens is light will hit between your eye and the lens, the ocular lens that you're looking through. And what that does is a a couple of things. First, I've got more sunburned eyes than I can count, to be honest. Like, but part of it is it gives you such a more clear view when there's shade over that, when you kind of block that light from going between your eye and the optic. And there's a couple of ways that I do that. You can use your hand, you can find something, like if you can get into the shade to glass, that's great. I'll set up something if I have to. I'll, I'll position myself where I'm below a rock or whatever, I'm going to be sitting there for a while. The unfortunate part about glassing sometimes in the middle of the day is You gotta be in the sun to look in the shade. So it's hard sometimes to get shade on you like you want. So one of the tactics that I've been using lately, I've actually got one of those Mag View adapters for my phone so I can film through the spotting scope. And it's nice because it's a cover for the lens, but I can also angle it because my, you know, so it's it sticks out to the right side. I'm using my right eye. And I can kind of like close it a little bit up against my head. And that blocks the sun from hitting my eye. And that's an awesome one for the on eye of the scope. Now, the way that I block my off eye or, or even help shade the lens even more is I always wear a hooded shirt when I'm hunting for this particular reasons, for glassing. So that hooded shirt works really well for a lot of things. I'll pull it up over. I might even like pull it up over my hat or maybe I'll just take my hat off and let it work as an eye patch to cover my off eye so I can have my eye open and then block that eye with the hood of my shirt. Sometimes I'll just pull that hood all the way up to the brim of my hat and that'll block the sun on both sides. So it really darkens the lens, darkens the view that I'm looking for. What I've even done in the past is I'll take my jacket out and I'll just throw my jacket over my head and my optics and make just like this dark room to glass from. And it is substantial how much different you can see when you kind of darken the world around you. If you're in grizzly country, though, it can be like, like you kind of become unaware of everything else, except for what's through the scope. But it's a really good tactic to kind of shade yourself and find shade and, and think about shade in different ways. It doesn't have to be shade that you find. It can be shade that you create with your hood, with a, a mag view adapter, with a jacket, it can be whatever. And that's a really good way to start effectively glassing and, you know, having both eyes open. If you're, you got both eyes open and you're in a little dark environment, it causes less eye fatigue, less eye strain, and allows you to see through the scope just so much better. So you're just using that scope a lot more effective. Now, another tip is to shade the lens itself, the objective lens, the big lens that's out front. And when sun hits that, it causes a lot of like distortion in the view. It, it looks things start to look muted or, or whatever. You just start to lose a lot of detail. Most scopes have a pullout where you can just pull that end out and that helps shade it a little bit. If there's a way that you can shade the lens, sometimes if I'm glassing with a buddy, I'm like, hey, can you just like sit here and glass from here? <laughs> and like, we'll switch off every once in a while. I'll glass from there, you glass from here and just shade. Or maybe if you're hunting with only one spotting scope, one guy's glassing through binos he can be out a little bit further and use his body to just shade the lens or cast a little bit of shadow on that lens that helps a lot and then just pulling that that cover out can even help some people don't even think about that of just like popping that little shade cover out that's what it's for just to kind of cut some of that glare and just a little bit of shade on the lens or maybe you just need to analyze something real quick have somebody stand just where you can use their hand like you're blocking the sun from your eye over the lens where it's not covering the lens, but they're just shading the lens. You can do that yourself too, where you just put your hand out if you need like a quick view of something and the sun's really bad for you. So those are just some of the tactics for shading the lens and and really being able to see clearly through your spotting scope. When it comes to glassing with a spotter, the primary objective of glassing with a spotter is to get a closer view of things that are far away. And what happens is your eye gets really trained to that magnification. And then when you back it out, your vision's nearly blurry because it's like a, it's a weird trick of where you're actually looking nearsighted at things far, not farsighted. So you pull your head off the spotter and you've been in this like dark little world. Then you go, I can't see anything. My eyes are blurry. And it's not a good place to be because what happens is going back and forth, back and forth, it causes a lot of eye strain and it actually makes it, uncomfortable to glass or you know wanting to use your binoculars and go back and forth when you're glassing with your spotter take frequent breaks so you're going to want to look through the spotter look off the spotter use your eyes look at the hillside maybe use your binoculars and then go back to the spotter so take those breaks and so your eyes don't get so trained and adjusted just staring close like almost like reading a book you got to take a few breaks from reading that book because you might need that vision of not being blurry all day by staring through the spotting scope for hours on end. When you're glassing with a spotting scope, you want to use the appropriate zoom level for the distance and detail that you need to see. So as you're zoomed out, you're going to get a wider field of view. You're going to be able to see more. And oftentimes you can let your eye look through the scope and analyze that. Now, if you really have to pick something apart, you're going to have to increase that zoom detail and pick things apart. As the day heats up, the more you increase the magnification, the more effect heat waves have on whatever you're looking at. So oftentimes I'll zoom in, I'll do a lot of glassing zoomed out at a lesser magnification, like that bare minimum magnification where I think I could spot something. And that helps with the heat waves. Then when I need to verify, so I'll kind of be moving it in and out, in and out, but I'm glassing more zoomed out. I'm covering and probably glassing in a few different ways. So gridding is one thing where you've got you know, in the middle of the day, that's probably what I'm doing most of the time is like finding an area that looks good and just going up, down, left, right, completely covering that entire piece of country with the spotting scope because I have time during that time of day. It's not like things are moving. In the mornings and evenings, I've talked about it before where I'm more selective shotgun glassing where I'm looking in the best places at the best time. Now that might mean I'm looking at every meadow five miles away or I'm looking at feeding area four miles away, feeding area six miles away, feeding area eight miles away, feeding area area one mile away from a really good vantage and then as the day progresses the cadence of the glassing changes and i start to slow down i start to just like pick apart and really grid a hillside and i'll go up down left right back forth and just essentially cover that thing and i'll adjust the zoom level appropriately for the distance that i'm at because i want to have that wider field of view but i also want more detail so as the heat waves start to mess with it I'm probably zooming out to where I'm like, okay, I think I can still get this detail. And then if I see something like, this is a good spot, this is something suspicious, ooh, maybe I just need to get a feeling about this spot, then I'll crank it up and I'll analyze it at higher magnification, maybe a mid-range magnification, maybe less magnification. And I'll, I'll mess with that zoom level quite often as I'm glassing back and forth. And then I'll just go back to my gridding and then, oh, here's something. Okay, zoom in, zoom out a little bit, analyze it. Is it something, is it not something move on and if i do find something oh that was really hard to spot at this magnification well i'm going to put it the closest magnification we go okay this is reasonable that i'm going to see this thing what you sometimes what i'll do is i'll use things that i find as that barometer for what's the appropriate zoom level for the distance and how much detail am i getting with these particular heat waves and once you locate something it actually makes it a lot easier to understand okay you you start to build out like this feeling and familiarity with how much zoom and magnification for wherever you're looking. One of the things that's very important with a spotting scope is being locked off and having it steady. And when you're looking, I think a tripod is one portion, but the tripod head is probably way more important than the tripod itself. When it comes to a tripod, I just want something that's sturdy, lightweight, easy to carry, I often use carbon fiber tripod legs, you know, whether you like the cam lock or the twist lock, it doesn't really matter. You know, you just want something that doesn't move so much. My whole life I've spent half the time filming and half the time hunting. So I needed a specific kind of tripod and a specific kind of tripod head because it needed to be good for filming as well, where I could balance the camera, this, that, and the other thing. So my tripods tended to be not the best for hunting, but really good for filming. And then I would use that same one for hunting. But I will say this about when it comes to tripod heads. You know, often you'll get a tripod and a tripod head together as a package. And that's fine. I think that most of those package deals, honestly, like the, the head is never that great. It's more you're paying for the tripod itself and they're throwing the head on there as like something nice. Every once in a while, you get one where the two are great or they're great for a while. There's a couple different kinds of heads. So there's a pan head, and the pan head would be like where each motion left right up down is on a different a different axis and locks and unlocks that way. Now there's a fluid head and a fluid head is similar to a pan head but it actually has fluid inside like a ball bearing system and fluid inside the tripod head. These are the smoothest I would say these are the best to operate. They're also the heaviest and most expensive. And I would say they're they're probably not for everyone, but that's where I use those a lot for filming because you can get those sweet, smooth pans, right? You could like turn it and move it and it wouldn't fall forward or fall backward. But when you're looking, you can kind of scan with it and it was super smooth and super nice for tracking. But they're heavy and, you know, I, I haven't carried one of those in a while because of the weight and price point of them. So, there's that. Then there's a pistol grip style. There's a couple companies that would make them. I think the Outdoorsman was the best for the pistol grip. Manfrotto made one for a while. It was really heavy and really big. I've used pretty much every tripod head out there. The pistol grip, for me, I think it's it, sometimes it's nice when it locks off where it wants. My brother and my dad love the pistol grip. Like they can't glass off of anything else. But the pistol grip's really good for certain kinds of glassing. And then a pistol grip with like a pan head's nice. You know, it's just pretty smooth. I think it's really good for a straight spotting scope as well. But, you know, a lot of the tripod heads is all just personal preference. Then you've got a ball head. Now, a ball head, kind of similar to... It's kind of between... a. It's different than a pan, so it's a single... Generally, it's like everything's on a ball, so it's a single adjustment to lock it off. And then, you know, it can move in multiple different... So you can level it out, you can turn it left, right, up, down. Then there are some ball heads that have like a, a pan feature where it just goes like, you lock that and then you can go left and right with it. So just left and right, no up and down, which is nice. I like having that multiple options. And then there's like a single adjust where the adjustment to the tripod head is in the the handle. So you you tighten it or loosen it and it goes up, down, left, right. I would say out of all the ones, the single adjustment is the easiest to use and very convenient, but also the most frustrating in some instances where you lock it and it, doesn't lock exactly where you want. So you undo it and you can't get it to like exactly find right where you want. But it's the most popular, the lightest and easiest to use. So there's a lot of benefits and a lot of things that are tough about every single tripod head out there. I don't know, it's like one of those things where you you almost just have to try a few different ones and find the one that you like because I think that when when you've got that where it's like back and forth and ee, 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 you're just like squeaking and moving and it's jumping around, that's tough when you're, you've are got like a camera, like a mag view on your your phone's attached and you're digiscoping and you're just like the animal moves and you go, you undo one thing and it goes down and right at the same time. And you're like, oh crap. Now I got to find this thing at full magnification with the camera on here. And that's that's frustrating. Where sometimes a pan head's nice because you just go, okay, undo one side. I can move it left or right or up or down. Fluid head's great. Like I said, there's some pluses and minuses of that. Pistol grip's easy. It's intuitive. You just kind of grip the thing and move it over. Let go and it stops. And then the ball head's good. I've used lots of different ball heads that I've enjoyed. I don't even know. I mean, I, I wish I could kind of recommend one. They don't even make half of them anymore. But there there's... I've used every single kind of tripod head out there, I would say, for the most part. I mean, there's not a lot that I haven't used. And I've liked and hated nearly everyone, right? That's just how it's. Uh, I think it's going to be. There's things that you like about certain styles and things that you don't like. So you just use kind of whatever works for you and your personal style. I think that that's the best way to go about it. But know that when you buy a tripod there might be it might have a head on it and that head might not be the best head for what you're trying to do with your spotting scope and and all that stuff. So just something to think about of like the tripod head is just as much important as the scope and the tripod legs itself, maybe even more so. Just something to think about. Now this little tip is one that I think when it comes to using a spotting scope, you know, you encounter a lot of wind and the shake in the tripod causes that to be difficult sometimes. So one of the things that I've done, you'll notice like on it, most tripods, it's got this spot at the bottom, it's a hook. And what it's designed for is like adding weight bags to it. Nobody's walking around in the mountains with weight bags. You can like use a little sack. Sometimes I'll take a stuff sack and used to put like rocks in it and weigh it down. But sometimes it's hard to find rocks and sometimes it actually just starts to swing and it's not that great. What I started doing is I'll bring an extra tent stake And I'll pound a tent stake in below my tripod. Then I'll just run either like a P-cord or whatever, like um, some of those guy lines. I actually took the one, I had an extra one off my stone glacier tent. And it's just like the quick cam kind of tightener for your guy lines. And I'll just run that from the little hook to the tent peg at the bottom. I I actually just like tied a D-loop in it. And then I can just quickly cinch that tripod straight to the ground straight to the tent peg and that locks it off so steady it's really nice to kind of cut that shake so you guys can use a lot lighter tripod in a lot harsher conditions so when you're looking at tripods you know bigger heavier tripod has less shake um, less wind effect and oftentimes they go higher more more standing or, or seated so when you actually like stake it down and, and get it tight you can use a lot lighter tripod with a lot more stability and that helps when you're you're glassing with a tripod so I think overall when it comes to glassing with a tripod we're using a tripod to glass when we've got that really big country or animals that are hard to find we're using it as I don't know if it's a primary but close to primary way of picking apart the mountain so we're looking with our optics or our binoculars. We're probably on a tripod picking that apart. And then we're looking at further country or more areas where we need more detail. And I would say that I'm thinking like the last hunt that I was on is 50-50 of binoculars and tripod or the last mule hunt. It's like 50-50 of spotting scope and binoculars, maybe even 60 or 70% spotting scope in some of the country, maybe even more because it was a lot bigger country and we really needed to pick apart The landscape, so we would sit down. We'd take out the spotting scopes, and that was our primary way of glassing. And so, when you think about that, you know, you really do need to get comfortable and learn how to block your eyes, glass with both eyes open, and and block that off eye. You know, take those breaks, get less eye fatigue, and be super comfortable when you're glassing. Sometimes that might mean, hey, I'm I'm glassing from an area where I, I'm near road and I've got a camp chair and I'll glass from camp chair. When we're scouting for sheep and other stuff, we might be going to different advantages, like set up a chair, set up a tripod, sit there and glass comfortably because you might be doing it for hours. And then you're just covering that country and then moving on and looking at new country. But wherever you're doing it, picking the right kind of spotting scope, whether it's angled or straight for the type of glassing you're gonna be doing. So you can glass longer, you can glass more efficiently, and you can cover that country better. And then shade the lens, block the sun from hitting your eye, take those frequent breaks, use that appropriate zoom level, really have the right kind of tripod for the glassing that you're doing. And also get that tripod super steady, block it from the wind, block that scope and have a really good look at what's around. Well, I hope that podcast really helps some of you guys. I've been getting a lot of questions about glassing with the spotting scope. And I think that I got a lot of great response from last week's episode about just kind of the way to approach glassing. So I think because it is such an effective tool, it really benefits us to kind of continually talk about it and talk about little tips and tactics that we can use to just be better. I'm sure there's a lot of you that have used it or carried a spotting scope your entire life and maybe you only use it for verification of things. I think if you sit down and glass through it, you're going to find a lot of value for it, but it can be difficult to glass through a spotting scope if you aren't used to it. So just a few of those little tips that I've picked up over the years I think really help for the longevity of continuing to be able to pick out animals with a spotting scope. You know, one of the awesome sponsors of this podcasting company that I've worked with for a very long time, Vortex Optics, I feel very fortunate because I get to try, you know, I'm talking about optics and I'm always like, I'm an optics aficionado, right? Like I've looked through binoculars and spotting scopes as much as I look through my regular eyes throughout the course of my life, I'm sure. And so, you know, having a good quality pair of optics is key. And I remember growing up and hearing people say like, get the best optics you can afford. And I, once I really ascribed to that, it changed the way that I hunted. And that's a hundred percent the truth. I remember like Eastman's hunting journal, man, that was like their battle cry. And that's probably the best thing that I've learned over the course of hunting from anyone else. There was something that wasn't, nobody I knew understood that. And it was like, I think that that that's the best thing that they ever taught anyone because honestly, like it changed the way that we hunted and it changed our success growing up substantially. And so the nice thing, like, like I said, I've worked with Vortex for a very long time and I get to try a little bit of everything. And I use their razor line of optics, which is their highest end line. But I actually also ask to try a lot of their mid-range stuff because I want to know what the stuff out there is like. And It's crazy to me, like I've tried their lower end stuff, some of the Diamondback stuff. I've tried their, you know, all the way up to their Razor line. And it's crazy to me what and how good optics are now compared to what they used to be. Because I feel like even the stuff on the mid-range end is about like what, when I was growing up, the best stuff I could afford. It's better than that. And it's, it's insane to think about. I don't know. I mean, just like the change in technology and the way that prices have come down on things because it's just easier to make. Uh, it, it's pretty wild. But I think right now, I've said this before, is like now's the time, like the golden age of getting into optics, right? Because you have so many options out there. And when it comes to kind of picking out which one you think is right for you, you know, I think you look at a couple things magnification and objective lens the larger the objective lens, the larger the light gathering. And oftentimes that larger objective lens allows for increased magnification. But also kind of thinking about, well, what hunt and type of hunt are you going on? I've talked about, last. I've talked about using the little, I call it the baby razor. It's like a smaller spotting scope. Because for a lot of hunts, I need that extra magnification. I need a little bit more to glass from, but I don't necessarily need to nitpick every little detail and I don't want to carry that extra weight. So that's a good option if that's your kind of thing. You're like, hey, I'm a backcountry guy. I'm not necessarily concerned about a lot of trophy quality, whatever. If you're a guy that's like, hey, I'm, I'm looking at long distances. I hunt a lot of open country. I do a lot of scouting. I would say the bigger spotting scope would be right for you. So I think that picking a spotting scope really kind of matches your hunting style. And then there's that like, I don't know which one to get, so I just pick the mid weight one, right? I pick the 65 millimeter objective that has like good magnification and I don't need the 85 mil objective and I don't want a 50 mil objective. So, you know, it's like kind of that balance in between. So I think that that's kind of a good way to think about spotting scopes is really what kind of hunting do you do? What kind of hunting do you want to do? What's the way that you're going to use it the most? Because if it sits in your truck or you don't carry it or you don't bring it out in the field or it sits in your pack all day, it's almost essentially rendered worthless, right? You've got an expensive piece of really good gear that you aren't using. So I say that about cameras and other stuff is get something that you're going to pull out and you're going to use because if you're going to use it, you're going to carry it. You're going to get the benefit of whatever that piece of gear is. That's way better than not carrying it and not using it. So that's just something to think about when you think about, you know, the different kinds of optics and, and stuff like that. And like I said, you know, I've used a lot of the Vortex stuff over the years. You know, you can find their, they've got their whole lineup online. They've got a great website, you know, Vortex Nation, that you can sign up for their Vortex Nation. They got a lot of good tutorials and stuff on any questions on optics or comparing optics. They've got a really good rundown of just everything that includes optics because that's what they do. That's what they're good at. So feel free to check that out. I'm going to say until next week... Keep your big eyes on the mountain, boys. Let's catch you guys later.